it's probably six days until my retirement because it's feature, please. <laughs> a hateful voice, the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I am what happens when power leveling goes wrong. Peter. Peter, what are we making reference to? Well, I want to talk about a wedding. <laughs> you want to talk about a wedding? Okay. I, I went to a wedding. It's been, I think, years since I've gone to a wedding. Oh, my. And at this wedding, somehow some stranger at the table and I started talking about Star Trek. Of course you did. How can you not? I was so so much time every week talking about it, Uh, you know, and specifically Delta Flyers came up and he got real excited and we were talking about Delta Flyers and he's like, I just I couldn't take it, though, man. Garrett Wang is is miserable. And I'm like, yes. So you met a, a, a semi-rando at a wedding and you connected on how much you hated Delta Flyers? Yeah, and I'm like, you know, obviously I got to name, you know, swing my nerd cred around and be like, well, you know, as a late 30s white male, I have a podcast and mine is about Star Trek Voyager. And there isn't anything possibly out there on the internet that should be more pertinent to our interest in delta flyer and it's just we both had to tap out it's difficult to describe how bad that show really had to be for both of us to make independent decisions that we could not listen to it anymore and that is with 50 percent of the personnel on that an active joy to listen to absolutely robert duncan mcneil is the fucking robbie's stuff was always really interesting you know some of the the cringe the social you know concern cringe aside but that kind of actually fell off as they got deeper into the show and that kind of those plot lines kind of went away mm-hmm. and to be fair had he not talked as much about like the native american stuff he wouldn't have talked about resident alien as much as he did which i ended up watching because of that podcast and really really enjoying and i suggest anybody out there looking for a good tv show check that one out but uh our our conversations drifted off Delta Flyer and we started talking New Trek. And it was very rewarding to have someone sit there and pull down their pants and poop right over the face of Picard. <laughs> and you got full catharsis at this wedding. Oh, my God. Like I was like, OK, cool. I'm not you and I aren't just. Weirdos with terrible minority opinions, like seeing other people out there, uh, you know, talk like the first season of discovery was okay but then you know the later stuff blah 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 both really enjoyed um lower decks which we still kind of need to catch up have you have you gotten any deeper into those yet i stopped around episode four of season two although i did see the clip apparently where the uh the lower deck writers ripped off beat for beat a joke that red letter media did and actually made it part of a plot line which one? Red Letter Media did a bit about how ridiculous the techno babble is on Discovery, and the exact joke they were doing in their video got used on Lower Decks. Like, like the thing that they were making up that would be ridiculous to solve the plot, they did on Lower Decks, and then used the same catchphrases that's in the joke. So yeah. I mean, it's it's a hundred percent clear they're like, oh, we're gonna take the piss on Discovery by doing this joke in our show, which Good. yeah, Good. like we've they they did more of that this season already that i've seen of where Mm -hmm. they're just they're just kind of taking the needle and just kind of pricking kurtzman with it here and there well as the best property out of new trek you have that that right um good good well 
finish watching Lower Decks, maybe we could use that as some uh, Patreon content to finish out our conversation on season two. But uh, I would say this is a good time for us to have a conversation right now. Uh, as a big chunk of our listener base is abroad outside the U.S. and streaming game is a much different creature out there. Ooh, um, yeah, I heard about this. I'm aware that changes to trying to move all of the Trek property under the Paramount Plus umbrella have resulted in a lot of Star Trek that was previously available uh, through Netflix. I think Discovery specifically has evaporated, and I know. I can't say for our listenership, I haven't seen anybody talk about it, but some of these other rancid Star Trek groups I'm on, I've seen a lot of belly aching, and I have to say, congratulations. <laughs> you have been rewarded with a richer life, having the poop stain that Discovery is taken away from you so you can no longer harm yourself. As I it. say, it's, this is an act of self-love. Mm-hmm. Don't watch Discovery. But yeah, the the... The contours of this is interesting. So what ended up happening is they really want to put all of the Trek they can within their streaming ages because they know it will drive a lot of attention. It will drive a lot of potential subscriptions. Problem is some of these shows are locked into different long-term deals with other platforms. They have to be unwound. So, you know, for example, you we can't watch Voyager on Netflix anymore, but it's still on Amazon for now, uh, for now, uh, next gen and T and, and, uh, yeah, next gen DS nine are still on Netflix. Uh, cause those were particularly popular and they got a, spe- they did special contracts for them years ago. Uh, but for new track for discovery, what they always did because Netflix was partially funding, at least at first discovery, because they wanted the show to launch because of how popular Trek was on their platform is that was the international rights holder for streaming for discovery since it launched back in, I think 2017 because there wasn't CBS all access everywhere else in the world. So the only place you could watch it if you were not in the United States was Netflix. In fact, that's how I originally watched it because I was literally in Japan watching Netflix, like, because you get a lot of time on trains there when you're traveling from city to city. And I watched the first few episodes on Netflix while physically actually in Japan. So uh, that ended right as season four was about to launch. Apparently uh, the Netflix decided they didn't want it anymore. And see, you know, CBS wants to put it on new Paramount plus, but Paramount plus has the same issue that CBS all access does, which is it's only in the fucking United States, which means you literally cannot watch discovery internationally legally right now. Um, and, uh, and that's the way it should be that that should be a crime. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's like you can let allow us to keep that confined to our borders. It's we're the sin eater. You know, we're, we are watching Discovery, so you don't have to. That's what we're doing as a, as a society. We're giving back to the world. It's about time. You know, we, we, owe, we owe them some things. We've been, <clears throat> America has foisted a number of pop culture blunders on the rest of the planet. You know, we have David Hasselhoff's that we have to account for one way or another. Leave Hasselhoff alone. I'm trying to pivot here, Joe. Speaking of, would you say foisting? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Speaking of uh, 
blunders undertaken by the United States. Season 7, episode 21, the pre-Starfleet friendship one. This episode is going to be dominated by a single fact, Peter. One that we have teased a number of times and talked about, uh, and we have finally arrived. This episode has the most ham-handed, blunt force, red shirt moment in the history of Star Trek ever. I don't know how else to describe what, what transpires here. This episode goes back in time to the 60s or 70s, whenever it was, uh, goes on to the set of original series right when some rocks or a trash bag is about to attack a guy in a red shirt and said, hold my beer. <laughs> this, this is so... I, the, it is comical how how they approach what is supposed to be the high stakes of this episode and it it is to the credit momentarily of memory alpha in a rare showing to actually have some content on this so what are we referring to we are referring to the fact that the special guest star of this episode is none other than joe carey now do you remember who joe carey is because he hasn't been in an episode that has occurred in the actual timeline of Voyager since literal season fucking one state of flux, which was the episode when Seska got, got found out. He's appeared a couple other times, but it's was in relativity, which is a time travel episode when he was hitting on seven of nine, when they were still in star dock, like you do. And fury, which is, was the cast episode comeback episode where he only appeared in the, in the time frame that occurred in season one. So while he has appeared in the show since season one, his appearances have all occurred during or before season one within the timeline. Right. I was convinced that his death was going to take place in some sort of a flashback because it's been so long since we've seen him for real. So him actually being alive and well in this uh, was pretty astounding. So this is uh, written by Mike Taylor, Brian Fuller, directed by Mike Viger, uh, first aired April 25th, 2001. Go back to the Memory Alpha. Lay this quote on us so we can lay the groundwork. I'd be happy to. So this was uh, Kenneth Biller, who was reflecting on their desire to kill a recurring character in this episode. And... They considered some other options, which we'll talk about, uh, but said the following. If you haven't seen someone in forever and all of a sudden you get to learn a lot about who he is, the savvy audience member will say, you know, this dude's going to die by the end of act three. He may as well have had a bullseye tattooed on his ass because he's as good as gone. <laughs> like... They knew what the, what the problem was. And instead of trying to do anything about it, they just leaned in at full force that, you know, he had his retirement party. Like they just, they did, they went full Murtaugh. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he's bought his home. He's six days from his, from his retirement. It's just, this guy, was destined to die in this in this episode from the moment you see him. <laughs> I love Kenneth B 
filler and we give them a lot of shit. But I mean, some of the best Trek or Voyager out there is laid squarely at his feet. And a quote like that, speaking that candidly in memory alpha, I think paints a great picture of him. Um, I really love this episode. I think that this does some Star Trek stuff, the likes of which we really haven't seen on Voyager yet. I thought the scope of the plot was grand, uh, yet fitting. And yeah, the, the parts with Carrie, like as soon as you see him in this. And had this been Peter in 2001, not 39 year old Peter uh, doing a, a grueling uh, <laughs> micro examination of Voyager at a cellular level. Would I have seen the the painting, uh, the writing on the wall that Carrie was going to die then? I don't know. Now, absolutely. And the entire time I'm watching this, like my asshole's just puckered feeling terrible for this guy. Like, <laughs> I like Joe Carey. He's a dad. He's got three kids. You know, he he this dude wants to get home and see his family. He was willing back with the Skeevians to give them the illegal database footage so they could get the warp folding technology right like he you want to talk about friendship one like he crossed the aisle and came and shook the hands of the fucking maquis and was like yes let's subvert crazy janeway dirt with seska if i recall correctly absolutely yeah um i wish we would have gotten more of carrie prior to this and it's you know it's a similar complaint across the board it's funny that they mention a reoccurring character there are so little reoccurring characters in Voyager, and that's ridiculous because it's the same fucking cat. Like, you have such a limited scope of people you can interact with, and on a ship that you're you're sealed in for a seven-year journey home, like, the number of times we actually get, like, a Vork or a Celeste or a Chell. Um, I, I could have gone for more of this guy. Sadly, the buck's can stop here. So let's unpack that a little bit more. We're going to top load this with a bunch of Joe Carey talk. And then we're going to actually talk about the episode because the Joe Carey shit is the is definitely the most V'ger please moment of season seven, as far as I'm concerned. The most just ridiculous ham handed nonsense. They mention in the quote from Biller that they had thought about doing Tal Celis, who was the hapless Bajoran from the Lois Jex episode played by the D&D wizard. Uh, Vorik. And then Samantha Wildman. So these, I guess, are what you would call recurring characters on Voyager. Of the three, uh, you and I were talking before we started. I thought Tal Celis was a brilliant idea uh, as far as her being just like this this plucky go-getter who's kind of hapless and very innocent and would have raised the stakes of the villainy of the main bad guy here, I think, considerably. A, you don't kill your 90s hotties. Okay, true. They're in short supply. Take everything you just said. Go after Samantha Wildman now because she is a safe, warm, kind character that the crew has a lot of investment in because it is the only child on board's mother. So that's like super dirty. And if you're going to really vilify the uh, whatever the scrotum face <laughs> Well, I will say with the with the the scrotum face alien mom there as well that adds an element of additional uh, texture to the villainy. 
if you had executed Samantha Wildman herself a mother, like maybe after a scene where she like bonds with the mom that's there. Yeah. It was like helping Tom with the, like the medical issues and reveals to the to the radiation victim mom that like leader guy is off his fucking rocker and needs to go yeah and and just gun that guy down in the back and say you know enough you know what have really done it though is if instead of one of these what should have happened is that the the away team should have been all four of them and you don't know which one of them might get it you know, instead of having a main character down there, mm-hmm. you send mm. like, oh, hey, we'll send a, a couple engineers and, you know, a scientist and, you know, we'll, we'll they'll go get the probe and come back. And they're the ones that get captured. And all the main characters try to help get the recurring characters back. And ultimately, the one of them isn't doesn't make it. And you add a little bit more suspense, like you kind of know one of them's going to die because... They're the recurring characters. They're expendable, but it's yeah. not immediately obvious which one it is, right? Because like and Tom, that would have been Tom, easy. Being, Tom could have easily been just Samantha Wildman in terms of the dialogue. Um, you know, Tal Salas could have done the Neelix bit, you know, and then that leaves you with with uh, Vorik and uh, Joe Carey to sort of be the straight men in this situation. Um, I I agree a hundred percent. I will say, though, that Tom's role in this was very juicy and well-deserved. It's been a while since Tom hasn't been. a. It's rare in Voyager for Tom to be compassionate and just and and just your typical what you would expect out of a Starfleet character, right? Yeah, it's definitely one of his more Starfleet moments. Uh, And he was certainly due for that, but. I really feel what you're laying down as far as replacing them. I think that had this happen earlier in the season, maybe that might've been a bigger possibility, but putting a, uh, a B roll cast heavy episode um, this late in the season, like switching over to Delta flyers, you know, they're all like, yeah, the best episodes are one that focuses on the main characters who cares about the side characters, blah, 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 blah. I'm guessing that's a culture that was pervasive through the entire Voyager operation. That's why we didn't really get as much interaction with uh, reoccurring characters as we should have, again, for yeah. an environment. That, 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 that's an interesting point because DS9 is the exact opposite. So it could very well be that some of the actors from DS9 had a bit of a chapped asshole over the fact that they often had to split time with part timers that would get like whole episodes to themselves, you know, like, and so they were very protective of their screen time and uh, the attention and, and the, they're basically the CV they were building as actors instead of not wanting to have to, to buy in all of these extra people that would come in for 10 or 12 or 16 episodes. Like, they did on the show that was, you know, being produced at the same time as them for most of the run. Again, I love this episode. Everything you just talked about, I think, could have really taken it to another level and dumbed down some of the the silliness and what happens with Joe Carey uh, to build something a little bit more tense. All right, um, 20 minutes in, we got it out. <laughs> the Joe Carey shit is ridiculous. Uh, I, we have we have solved 
several better ways of doing it. But let's actually talk about the episode now. Because like you said, it's pretty good. It's a good Trek premise. We start with a teaser scene that tells you a lot with while telling you very little, which is probably the best kind. Where you have this alien civilization. We know it's alien because they have a little bit of shit on their forehead. And they are detecting what we can clearly make out to be a Earth probe because it's speaking English. It's uh, playing the Four Seasons on a a space broadcast bandwidth. It's looking real Zephram Cochrane. Yeah, um, and also like Nomad, which was a uh, a original Trek episode. It's kind of have this sort of like boxy kind of feel to it it looks like a piece of old earth tech it it did a good job with the cg of making it look like this is some shit that got put out there in the real early days of earth space flight and when we cut back to voyager uh after the teaser uh we're actually right where we left off as far as their plot is concerned which is their facetiming with the federation they're they're having a discussion specifically it's Janeway talking to someone he she identifies as Professor Hendricks who is actually Admiral Hendricks and is uh, regaling him with stories of all of the alien races that they've encountered and that we we join the mid conversation as she explains the Jurassic Park people the fucking dino people man I was so excited to hear that name the crazy shit that Voyager's gotten into like yeah, we uncovered an entire conspiracy that unraveled the very fabric of their society. And for whatever reason, they didn't crush us like bugs, but they did like murder the one dude and threaten the other guy's family or something. Yeah, those crazy dinosaur people. That's a thing. The dinosaur people, I think, definitely have the award for most powerful race encountered in in all of Voyager. Far and away, like, they had city-sized starships they could just beam Voyager into their cargo hold. They could travel a transwarp. They they basically were an ascended species. They were just above everything. Um We're putting them above species eight four seven two? I think so. I mean those are guys that could just bingo cubes. In yeah, case, but like in case but, you didn't know about that. <laughs> but then they they got jabronied by Voyager's, you know fucking weekend-long science project. Like, how yeah, cool are they listen, in the Who doesn't get shithoused by five minutes worth of the old college try by Voyager? The dino Minus, people! The dino people didn't. They, they told them to fuck they, off and then left. I don't think they ever really stepped, though. I I, I don't know. Um. So, yeah, he's, he's real interesting, or interested in what she's got to say, but this isn't a leisure call. This is a business call and my ears instantly perked up because I've been waiting now, you know, for seven years. Voyager has been a ship that's only order has been to get home with the one exception of the Omega particle, where there is a standing order issued by Starfleet that directly interacted with the crew's decision making process there. But now. For the first time. Uh, There is a problem and there is a Starfleet asset in the area and Starfleet has said, chill out for a minute. You know, 
I don't know if you know what these things look like, but these are called orders, and we've got some for you. <laughs> They're pretty excited. Like Voyager's like, holy shit, we have a mission from Starfleet Command. How novel. Uh, wow. <laughs> this is kind of neat, right? Like our bosses gave us shit to do. This is I was nice. excited for them. You know? Yeah. They were like it, you, you can tell through the the episode like Harry Kim like stayed up o- overnight to like do extra space math to try and like be more efficient. So they, they rip him for it. And it's like down. listen, uh he's like, Well, if this bitch Jangway is never gonna give me a shot at promotion, maybe I just need to like wow somebody over her head. My mind's just swimming with possibilities here. Like if if Starfleet was to like chill out for a minute and say, you know what? maybe we don't need Voyager coming. Like we can do, this is an asset, right? Like they're in a bad position, but openly this is an asset. Hey, we've got some stuff we need you to do for the next two or three years. And then we'll resume the, the, the trip home. You've been making really good time anyway, so we're not sweating it. Um, and I'll go catalog this solar system or, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think the space reasonable thing is, is exactly this sort of thing, which is, Hey, you're in the neighborhood. Can you check this out for us? Like if that sort of situation comes out, otherwise it's like, okay, yeah, you guys have been out there for a while. Get the fuck back here as quickly as you can. Well, we need that board tech. Yeah. Well, I, you've got some shit hot nonsense on that craft and we would love to get our hands on it. And I'm not just talking about this imperious blonde, uh, board drone you picked up, but yo, we want to taste that Leola root. <laughs> We need we Nate Neelix has got the good good. <laughs> hey, bring that that vibrating rock turd dead caretaker. We need to cut that bitch open. So here's 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 the order is uh once upon a time Earth did a real moops. <laughs> a a serious moops. This is this is some very naive about the universe shit right here. Um we sent out the Friendship One probe, which everybody seems to have a pretty fond impression of. If we are to believe the reactions that we get in the uh, senior conference. Uh, Harry Kim has memorized the message that Friendship One broadcasts, which is basically, hey, everybody, we want to be friends. We're going to start doing space travel. Here's a bunch of information about us. Here's how radio works. Here's all of this technology so we can meet on equal footing and as a showing of goodwill and just all sorts of stuff that flies directly in the face of that prime directive we're always talking about. Not just flies in the face of the prime directive, but is painfully naive of the nature of the universe being much more brutal than the optimistic Earthlings would like to think it is, which, by the way, is essentially the thesis statement of the show we're about to watch. Enterprise is actually pretty good at portraying the universe as a harsh and untamed place that is unkind. <laughs> and that that has an effect on the uh, the optimism of the crew as time goes on. Uh, so as they're describing this in the staff meeting, um, I, I'm sitting there as a Star Trek veteran and I'm thinking to myself like, wow. This thing was a terrible idea. How was this not like priority number one once Starfleet was finally founded to track this goddamn thing down and blow it up before it did exactly what we'll come to find out it did like this. This is a worst case scenario. I presume it probably got too far out 
relative to their ability to go get it once they realized what a mistake they made. Because they what? sent it out just a few years after Zephyrin Cochran's flight. So it's got like probably a Warp 1 engine in it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. so... You know, if we had some Australians here, maybe we could get some grueling... This is the type... I mean, I desperately would like to have Terrans just just all of a sudden doing a galaxy brain math to tell us exactly how far it could have gotten within 200 years. It, in fact, in fact, I am almost certain that he will do this math for us in the Vija Police Trauma Support Group, and we will all be, we'll all be privileged in the experience. You're going to uh, subpoena the space math? Yes, I'm going to subpoena the space math. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb and say that at warp one, a 200 year journey First of all, what infinite fucking power core does this thing have to just to get through that? Maybe there's a lot of coasting going on. I, I'm going to have to say that either we hit some wormholes here or uh, the, the hand of Q has been busy. I think the canon explanation would be that it would have to be wormholes. Because I think you're right. Like any fuel source that, that it has, even though a... a like a low warp is not energy as energy intensive as obviously as as high warp it's still going to burn out after like 30 or 40 years of consistent use you'd have to assume especially at that level of earth's technological development oh i'm getting my neck beard showing give me mm-hmm. bail me out give me out of this conversation um so yeah anyways i think it's well within reason that they could have sent something out to go search and destroy the biggest mistake of 2067. But they didn't. So off it goes. And uh, somebody over at Starfleet Intelligence is like, hey, you know, our projections put this thing maybe in this area. And since we've got a cutting edge top of the line ship out that way, maybe they can swing by and, and check it out. And like you said, everybody's excited about it. I'm excited for them. Their first mission. Like how how cool, how quaint. So Harry's math pays off. They find the planet where they think the thing is. Uh, and they also detect a whole bunch of antimatter radiation, which apparently does not l- ring alarm bells for them immediately. I want to real quick before we get into them actually finding the probe, like clearly they're not going to touch the Maquis angle anymore. But I think it would have been interesting at some level to have some discussion somewhere in the mess hall where the Maquis participants of Voyager, because it's been Voyager as a crew working with the intention, the, the mission of getting home. Now you have Starfleet actively sending orders and directives, sidetracking Voyager from those efforts to get home. Like, I need that conversation where the Maquis are like, you know, we're not Starfleet. This isn't our mission. And now we're basically being pressed into service how do we feel about that? I think you would like once we're finished to listen to the Voyager season eight podcast He's a fan of ours actually as well. And he explores these concepts in detail in basically creating audio drama versions of what he thinks should happen after the finale that kind of dives into these ideas, these specific ideas in ways that felt very much like a fan who understood the contours of the show would create. So that is my recommendation to you and my recommendation to everyone else, by the way, that's no fun, Joe. It's, it's so easy to make compelling, reasonable, good star Trek Voyager 
uh, plots and developments. Yeah. I mean, we, we do, do it, it all off the, the cuff every week. <laughs> I want to see some ham-handed, goofy shit writing and, and, and how it would handle these concepts. You can't cheat and give me a, a It's easy to be competent. It takes skill to be a hack fraud. <laughs> it takes skill to be a hack fraud. Oh, boy. Um, anyways, yeah, they, they find the planet. Shit's all fucked up. They... <laughs> I'm such oh. a beaten dog at this point. I don't even, like, stop to question why they're not just transporting through. I'm just... I assume if they're sending the fucking Delta Flyer down, there's dust in the clouds or something that prevents transporters or some other bullshit, whatever. I mean, and, they they did say that the antimatter radiation was interfering with sensors and transporters. But before they get in that shuttle, they're getting their radiation inoculations. And there they are in sick bay. And there he is sitting on the table. Good old Joe Carey. And I go, uh oh. <laughs> oh Uh-oh. no, buddy. Oh no, 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 no. Why are you here, Joe? Uh, this is it. This is it. Danger. Danger, Joe Carey. Uh, Bellana comes down. She wants to go on the way team mission. Tom's like, no, we already got Joe. Joe's like waving from behind with a smile on his face, not seeing that anvil floating over his head. And finally, um, Bellana relents saving both her life and the uh, Jesus Christ Klingon growing within her. When they called Josh Clark, the actor who plays Joe Carey, what do you think they told him? Like, hey, man. Hey, man, you want to come die? I know we haven't called you in a while, but we're finishing up season seven, and we just want to kill you. He's like, cool, sag pay. I love it. Like, give me that scale, man. Like, that's no uniform for a reason. You know, I've 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 stayed close enough to my original weight. I should I should still fit in the same jumpsuit. You know, like Bellana, I'm in the neighborhood. Bellana and her arguing. The initial reason that Tom doesn't want her going down is because uh, she's pregnant and she's going to be breathing radiation air for two. Like it felt like it was a whole conversation of Bellana basically saying she wants to smoke cigarettes, and Tom like, no, the Surgeon General said that's unhealthy. <laughs> I, I do think that that sets up a little bit of the the subplot here, which is the uh, family and birth and children and caring for children and protectiveness of fathers uh, that they they want to set the table for by having this fight. Yeah, That's what it was a, for. It's a jelly bean trail that I was all over. I'll tell you that. Like you've, yeah, you've was, the, that was made for you. Like you've that played the it. father card a few times. Like I felt it for real in this one. Um, they get down there, they go, oh, wait a minute, I thought there was nothing here. And then they find like massive swaths of highly irradiated uh, city. They land. They I love that. Out. I love how Joe Carey said that line. Because <laughs> like, he, I think he literally said, uh, I thought it was supposed to be uninhabited. <laughs> like with with the with the uh in there kind of contemptually. Mm-hmm. Like, what's uh, what the fuck is this? And just as his mind was blown, my mind was blown when I saw not two, but three, three, three EV suits. Where did this third EV suit comes from? These suits, these these nice, high quality suits. These are here courtesy of Star Trek First Contact, where they used movie budget to make movie grade prop suits, uh, costumes. I, 
we've only ever gotten to see two people in spacesuits at a time. And it's always team one of two people and team two of two people. Four spacesuits. It's only two spacesuits. I don't know where this third one came from. I don't know how fucking Memory Alpha doesn't doesn't mention this at all. But this is like ground shaking news. The third one did seem like it was cheaper, though. I, I looked carefully after they had three of them on, see, on on screen at the same time. And one of them seemed to have like less plastic doohickeys on it and seemed a little less uh, fully uh, developed. And I, I don't think that was accidental. I didn't notice that because I was obsessed with poor Ethan Phillips because they got they got Neelix in a spacesuit. I'm like, this dude is saddled with all his bullshit Talaxian makeup. And then under a fucking spacesuit, this guy's got plastic on plastic on plastic. Neelix's face is so big in that thing, like his cheekbones are pressing into the glass on the helmet. And it just looks like fucking miserable. It's de- it was definitely the most uncomfortable time that man has ever had on set, depending on how good or bad the uh, uh, that that Ferengi makeup ended up going for him. True that. Um, so I'm still kind of like curious how exactly Starfleet would have known that Friendship One was anywhere near this area, but uh, they start digging around the city. They okay, find. Hold on. Hold on. I've just figured I just found something out critical EV suit information because I was curious because you mentioned it. Hmm. They made three. Who made three? First they, contact. They originally made three for first contact. Was one of which like an evil prototype that tried to kill somebody. So it got taken apart and put in a shelf never to be seen again until being discovered by its long lost brothers years later. There's even a photograph of all three of them being used in the filming of first contact. Uh, there's been so many times memory alpha has specifically cited two suits. Being there's three. there's photographic evidence of three. Well, listen, uh, Bellana Torres, I got fucking news for you. You can manipulate pictures with Photoshop. I think this is a conspiracy. This is a real Voyager conspiracy, all right? Yeah. Not that nonsense. Seven and nine was getting on to. I'm just, you know, I could just be gaslighting you. you, know. <laughs> you never oh, yeah. know. You're salty that you didn't uh, play your little trick where you tried to describe a media- mediocre episode that doesn't exist. So now trying you're trying to, to, try to convince you it actually existed. Trying not to ju- juke me on the fucking third phantom suit. I'm just not okay with you being named the Chadish of our fandom. You know, I, I need to displace you somehow. You won't. You're you're in what was Barge this... of the Dead. What's the shitty hell? <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going to cling on shitty hell. Where I have to keep doing my backstory episode over and over and over again. You didn't even get the honor of a Klingon shitty hell. Just after you fucked up that Susie Plaxton comment, the uh, the demon parasite just came and ate your fucking soul and you're being slowly digested for the next millennial. Does he look like my dad? A fat version of your dad in an oh, ill-fitted no. animal suit. That's not okay. That's how you can tell a demon. That's how you can tell a Delta Quadrant demon. It looks like your dad, but like a lot more chest hair and a especially ill-fitted admiral suit. But anyway, they find some irradiated cities, right? They find the irradiated cities and they find uh, the biggest. The, the mother of all Chekhov's guns, the field of nuclear antimatter, intercontinental ballistic missiles. And they assume, well, clearly this is a warlike society. There is a badass map painting field of nukes ready to go 
Um, obviously, this is just another civilization that bombed itself into oblivion. Sad face. It is a nice kind of initial head fake of like, oh, the the issue is that the stupid thing that earlier Earth civilization did was give this technology to a planet they use it for war. How how tragic. Because that takes away most of the culpability of the Federation, right? Like, oh, we shouldn't have done it, but they did it to themselves still. Kinda. I, I like that that's where the starting point is and that they kind of give you this clear tease as a reason for why this happened. Mm-hmm. The, the, um, the, they split oh, into two crews. The uh, away team of man who is about to die plus Neelix <laughs> plus Tom uh, go into the caves, the uh, the hell caves. Uh, you know, you mentioned last week you were expecting to see them and you were not disappointed. No. And they uh, they go into someone's uh, fucking Fallout 4 shelter. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought, too. I'm like, they are just raiding through the, the, the DC wasteland here. They're poking around. They're collecting some bottle caps. They're trying to get some materials so they can make. Uh... I'm blanking on my Fallout 4 quotes here. I... <laughs> well, OK, so, well, there's Fallout 3 was the capital wasteland. Fallout mm. 4 was is Boston. Right. And so if they're in Fallout 3, if they're in the Capital Wasteland, then they're trying to get parts for that sweet flaming sword that you make out of junk. You know, that's like one of the better melee weapons. Until I forgot you about the, that. The that super duper, one. the super duper OP stuff later in the game. Um, by the way, Fallout 3 was so horrifically broken by its last X pack. It's kind of ridiculous. If you ever like play the game again and then you just go immediately do the last X pack missions that are like the alien, the alien spacecraft. Oh yeah. Uh, Mothership Zeta. Yeah. And you just like come back with ray guns and you're just like one shotting every enemy in the game from that point forever and ever. Take that death clause. But if it's fallout four, if they're in fallout four, then uh, they're, they're probably on some sort of like loyalty mission for one of the factions you know, and they they might just end up with a couple power cores from their for their uh, for their uh, their power suits. That kind of tracks. There yeah. is definitely some loyalty missions that get accomplished here. They don't result in uh, enhanced love interest sex scenes, but uh, Tom Tom seals the deal with some uh, with some cohorts. Um, they're rooting around this little tech hovel camp, and they find the side panel of. The friendship one, they say, well, we found this thing um, points off that. For being on the cusp of such a big fucking deal, uh, piece of history, blah, blah, blah. Chakotay, who was like completely tent pulling his pants with the huge history boner he had back in that awful shitty episode. Oh, right. The one where they're like trying to get the probe and seven of nine has to like bail everyone out of their stupid decision making. Like this should be on par with the big fucking deal that was with him. And you would never have thought he gave two shits about it throughout this entire thing. They're rooting around in the junk and then they hear some some rustling and uh, the bandits come out. So they have some uh, trash bags on that were reminiscent of the 37 trash bags to me 
you know, like I was getting more sand people. It was like a it was like a loose fitting version of that because those were straight up gimp suits in uh, the thirty sevens, and these were a little bit more layered, trashy ponchos, but it had a similar design aesthetic of just kind of plain black plastic. <laughs> What's the uh, Metro twenty? Oh, Metro twenty thirty three. I thought of that too. Metro yeah, or Chernobylite? I mean, that this there's a little bit of a Soviet post apocalyptic. Yeah, these guys, these guys could have easily been going from metro station to metro station, buying and selling products with good AK forty seven ammunition. Mm, the currency of the future. You're right. And by the way, if you've never played these games or read those books, highly recommend it. Uh, metro Last Light is an amazing game in particular. We're doing a lot of video game recommendations today. I don't know why that is. It's it's par for the course with us, man. <laughs> um, so they get jumped, and there's a little bit of a scuffle. Uh, meanwhile, you've got Harry and Chakotay going back to the flyer, uh, and Chakotay finds that someone has been trying to hotwire his whip. And is like, what the fuck? And then we cut to the back cargo area where Harry Kim's putting his helmet away and he gets jumped and his ass beat with a rolling door. <laughs> Only for Chakotay to show up in the first of several different effective uses of a phaser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just Blast guts him down real quick. They try to con- uh, make contact with Tom's team, but uh, that's a no-go. And all of a sudden, the entire Delta Flyer starts getting rocked with antimatter weaponry and Chicote says well we're out of here and then fucking uh kim's like but what about the other guys and it's like come on man this this is why you're not cut out for fucking command <laughs> hey this remember right that episode here, with ron glass remember that shut yeah. the fuck up harry <laughs> yeah why don't we sit here uh, a sitting target and just get blown up with fucking dirty nuke bombs like this is why you're never getting another pip on that collar so they fly back off to Voyager. Chicote literally says, we can't rescue anyone if we're dead. <laughs> like, Harry, what the fuck? Yeah, let me show you how we do terrorist math, okay? So uh, they finally reveal the aliens, and it is, these are some very pus-stricken, uh, uh, toxic Avenger-looking motherfuckers. <laughs> Right, they like, look like shriveled scrotums. This is their faces look like hell. It's very clearly radiation poisoning. It it it's awful. Um, you've seen something similar to this if you go back to the Malon episodes uh, where you're dealing with bad space radiation. Um, they've got the main group sequestered. Uh, we get the evil leader guy. I don't remember what his name is, but whatever doesn't matter. You, you know exactly what this guy is going to be about. And eventually we get the story of what actually happened to this planet. And it is not that they nuked themselves, as was teased. Those missiles, as noted, were developed for defense and were never fired. It is that the power grid the antimatter power grid exploded. And when it did, it created this radiation mess. And it is the, the stowaway that clocked Harry 
that is the one that really gives the download and his name was Otrin and he classifies himself as a scientist and he says this this was your design obviously you evil federation you sent this device to us and told us to use the technology knowing that we would kill ourselves with it because we weren't going to be prepared for it we didn't know what the fuck antimatter was until this nonsense wandered into our neighborhood and told us about it and told us to use it we didn't know better to clarify the antimatter power grid you're talking about did not exist prior to friendship when this was earth technology that was offered to anybody with a radio and you know this this is always the this is a great episode for many reasons specifically why one of which is specifically why the prime directive needs to exist because you're giving revolvers to monkeys and sometimes they shoot themselves with the bullets and that's there's a lot of shades of uh candy corn tragedy here right yeah unstable uh, power source an unstable power source that blows the entire goddamn planet up and those people who were not lucky enough to die in the initial blast uh are now stuck in this post-apocalyptic hellhole living underground and uh getting so fucked up by the radiation poisoning that they end up looking like um phage guys what's their name oh uh the the doctor's girlfriend no, just the phage dudes. I'm blinking on the... Oh, the Vidians. I mean, these these guys are on par with being as ugly as the goddamn Vidians are. Um, and I love the the conspiracy theory there that you just laid out. If we go back to the sad sacks, speaking of a mediocre episode that never gets discussed, right? You had those space Amish guys that just started appearing on Voyager at random. Oh, we don't know why we're here. And it just keeps happening more and more and more until finally... The sad sacks outnumber the Federation. Um, and while the sad sacks are teleporting in, Voyager members are transporting out. And it's a it's a smooth transition to take over something. It's that same type of Trojan horse here. They think that the Earth sent out this, <laughs> this malicious Wikipedia of how to fuck your shit up. And then they fuck their shit up and then they just waltz in in their radiation proof yeah. suits. The way and- that he goes through the you showed up with protection from the thing we did to ourselves, like just randomly. Really? And you know what? I, th- there was another episode specifically that de- dealt with this and it was uh, was it Rise? It was where they were winging. They were shooting asteroids at the planet so people would flee. Was that the subplot of Rise? All I remember about Rise was the elevator ride. Was that like the space dilemma that was happening? I for- yeah, I there was a conspiracy that the 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 asteroids that were hitting the planet had uh, like nuclear depth charges attached, and they were doing way more damage. And it was a specific attach a- attack to make it look like intergalactic phenomenon was was attacking a planet. The residents would leave, but the invasive force would then move in behind and, and occupy. That's right. God. And you could, you know what? You could be gaslighting me, though. You maybe could be turning. You could maybe turn I that am. around. I, mm-hmm. I, I, for, I forget everything not related to the the most dramatic science fiction elevator ride of all time. <laughs> the one that established Tuvok as an unstoppable Terminator, even though he totally or, or, or Spider Man, yeah. 
<laughs> that too. Listen, you know, for a minute there, the Vulcans were the top of the food chain. Um, so it's one of those crazy theories that once you say it makes perfect sense. And uh, it kind of trips the Voyager crew up for a second. They were like, that huh. makes sense. But <laughs> no. And I have to think at a certain level, like maybe somebody somewhere in there is like, this sounds real section 31. Like, hold on. Is, is the earth Did, flat? Are we the baddies? Uh, but they're like no that you guys you just suck at space math you do this to yourself it sucks but hey we'll we'll help you out right with with the bad guy down on the surface you know neelix tries to like work some charm you know buddy up to the to the main villain the leader guy be like hey i know humans suck but they're not so bad. And, you know, my, my, my planet also got wasted by a fucking dude, <laughs> atomic he, weapon. And these jabronis wouldn't even help me save them. He starts talking about the fucking Metaron cascade or whatever. And my fucking cackle started getting up. I'm like, don't you start talking about the inaugural weakest shit award. That's like, like a, that's on our bingo card. Remember like you always mentioning this. Some somewhere someone hit bingo because of this. It's impossible not to, but it's it's front and center here. But this dude, he cuts through Neelix's bullshit. He's like, I bet you they didn't even try to save these people for like they probably didn't even put a solid ten minutes of work in, did they? And, and Neelix is like, No, my family's damned forever to a miserable half life. And he's like, Get the fuck out of here. You've got a solid effort by everybody in the crew here. Uh, Carrie's all fucked up. He's got a concussion. He needs medical attention. They won't let Tom get his backpack. Tom is befriending a clearly pregnant woman trying to chatter up on her kids. How many boys? How many girls? You know, I got a daughter on the way, blah, blah, blah. If you I might not have seen the Joe Carey death coming, but I certainly knew that there were going to be some stillborns here to kind of like put Tom in his place and add real gravity to the situation for yeah. him. The way that they had the extra here, the ascended extra talk about it. You knew that that was going to be the answer. And Tom wasn't seeing it at first. Like that was going to be the answer. She was real fucking kind of despondent over it. And uh, yeah, plays down like, yeah, I don't have any live children. Never, never, never had a live child before. I also and that that definitely put Tom in a like, oh, this is some fucked up shit. This is also maybe part of why I really like this are the number of parallels that exist between this planet and their situation and the Krogan for Mass Effect, because not only do you have uh, whatever the Krogan's homeworld is called a nuclear wasteland, but also uh, God, what was that? Tachanka, Tachanka, right. But what was the the thing the Solarians infected them with so that they couldn't reproduce anymore. Hey, see me. What's the name of the disease that the Solarians gave to the Krogan? Good. If she doesn't remember it off the top of her head, then I don't feel so bad. Yeah. Are we all blanked, man? I know. I mean, good. I hope it's hurting her as bad as it's hurting me. Yeah. It's, I think it's hurting us all. I, I also forget the name of it. I mean, she, she literally has a doll of uh both both playable krogans and 
take them and smash them on the edge of the table and say she she does not deserve these the solarian doctor what was his name morton morton Morton. she's looking up like an art book she's not even willing to go to wikipedia and rip no no she's got a physical book out this is is you have to justify the purchase and the shelf space for just this specific i want to say it's the phage but it's not the phage that was the Vidian. But yeah, that was the Vidian thing. I thought of that too, was the phage, but that's that's the Vidian. I'm gonna fucking cheat here. No, it's just I want I, I want this for Stevie so bad. Genophage, that's why I thought it was the phage. Ah, it's the genophage! <laughs> Minus forty points for everybody involved. Oh, that was rough. That was rough. Uh, I want to say phage, but that's why one wants me to remember things. They should make good things. Mm-hmm. In my defense, I have not heard that word in some time. I think I played through Mass 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 Effect Two. I played through Mass Effect Two at the beginning of the pandemic, like literal March of 2020. So it's 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 been a year and a half since I've, since I've heard that word at all. So, you know, you've got a extremely resource scarce society. You've got crippling uh, radiation, deforming people, uh, nuclear winter, hopelessness, uh, all the bad stuff wrapped into one. It's not surprising that none of the other marauding Delta Quadrant species haven't come down to fuck with this place because it sucks ass down here. Um, and now that this dude has the enemy leader guy has the the enemy of his civilization held hostage. He goes, uh, you motherfuckers are going to pay. And he's not really looking for just revenge here. And and I'll credit leader guy with this, right? He is not petty and just looking to go down swinging like uh, he's Admiral just, Kane. He's just, he's just ruthless. He says, you're going to find us a new fucking planet and you are going to transport all of us off this hellhole that you're responsible for and give us a fresh start somewhere else. Which, legit, right? It's a a fair demand. And when Janeway ultimately refuses because of the logistical impossibility, that's when things escalate. And they, they do a good job of, like, Janeway's negotiating. He's, he's pushing back. Janeway's like, how about this? Let's start with something small. Give me one of them back. I'll give you like medical supplies. You know, let's establish trust. Standard sort of like hostage negotiation tactics that you see in fiction all the time. I don't know how well this plays in real life. It's obviously never been a hostage negotiator, but it made sense to me. And you and you think you're going to have that moment of like, just for a second of like, okay, I'll beam someone back. But then the music starts the motherfucker is about to die here and everything like takes its time where you like, Mr. Carey, I'm sorry. Well, sorry for what? Yeah. Like he's setting up the transporter things. Like everything is taking a little too much time. The dramatic music in the background. And it's a good fake out. I mean, yeah, they, they bring this guy out of the fucking closet specifically to kill him. But when he's got the head injury and you're like, all right, well you can go up first. I was like, Maybe Carrie doesn't die here. I mean, this all seems pretty reasonable what's happening. When the music starts and suddenly everything is holding on Carrie for like two extra seconds longer than they probably should, 
while the music swells. It's like this is I'm a this guy is about to die music right here. I felt his death. Uh, we have talked about Carrie a lot. He is established person in in the realm of our knowledge. I know he has three children. I feel for him on that. I'm instantly having to ask myself, like, did this guy even get a chance to phone home or was his like ice linear chip pull like way at the back? And everybody that was in front of him is going to have to feel like shit that he never got a chance to talk to his kids. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, like, all that time they spent on that stupid law, law case, Doc. Look what you caused. Ooh, you feel good now, doctor, with your fucking mm-hmm. shitty book you wrote about everybody? Yeah, they kill him. And I was like, you mother. Like, that's that's shitty. Um, Janeway is completely off her fucking rock around this one. And this is another one of those episodes where you just get Janeway with uh, with some defects here. This is the most prevalent example of humanity fucking up uh, and, and it being laid at Janeway's feet. The last time you had something on par with this was Dreadnought, right? Where you had the fucking Maquis super weapon that was about to blow up some helpless civilization or whatever. Yeah, but right? he was, she was willing to destroy the ship to save them. Like, she was willing to, like, pay the ultimate price. And it wasn't her fuck up. Although I did like when the villain accuses her of genocide. She's got this look on her face of shock. And it's like, I, I really would have loved it if she had said, are, are you one of Arcturus's people? <laughs> like, uh, like I, I, are you one of the Borg victims I, or I, something? I fucked over so many people. Like, I don't know if you guys can get next door through all this radiation, but like, hasn't been a good run for us over here. I mean, this is like a book should be written about this in Starfleet. Like why we have the prime directive. Everything we can do to fix the problems that we have caused here should be expended. And I feel like from a diplomatic angle, like right off the cuff, she should have been like, hey, we're super sorry. Let's start beaming down all sorts of shit to help you guys out. Let me really roll out the red carpet. Let's really fully discuss all the opportunities here. Like they scout out like and I get, you know, we don't deal with terrorists or whatever, but read the fucking room here. I feel and, like there was some potential that that could happen. And this is really my major criticism with the episode is you have a planet full of refugees, want to be refugees, at a serious medical disadvantage. They search and they say the closest M-class planet is, what, three months away? Three months away, yes. And I have to do 15 trips. Let, let me let me pose this opportunity here, right? And I, we could sit here and do the space math, but I'm going to dump this on Taryn as well if he wants to do... Subpoena uh, the space math! I subpoena you to do some, some calendar, some stardate math, because if I go back several pages in my notes, I get to a little two-parter we can call workforce, where you've got a super advanced fucking civilization, space-faring civilization that's so fucking hard up for labor, they're abducting them off of ships with their advanced medical technology that can rewrite people's memories. 
hey, how about this? Take one load of these guys back there. They can say, hey, listen, we've got a whole fucking planet of people that would love to work in your factory instead of eating fucking rad roaches and and still birthing all over the place. Why don't you send a rescue effort there to pick us up and we'll go work in the fucking power plant and everybody could live heavily ever happily ever after and hey voyager all your gallivanting around the fucking delta quadrant look at these cool connect the dot plots we can do where our past experiences pay off and we can even rewrite your memory so you don't remember having to survive fallout 3 you know what like all those stillbirths gone no it's just this one that's all (laughs) hey everybody just eternal spotlight of the fucking sunshine but whatever you know what a great op no jamie that we can't tack three years onto our fucking guess you've just cheated decades off fucking kess gave you like a space boop that knocked what 10 years off or something 20 years yeah i think you've gotten enough goodwill and free rides that you could take three years to undo uh the fucking new literal nuclear holocaust that earth has inflicted on these poor fucking people but if they if janeway had done that then we would not have gotten the next scene which is the 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 rescue scene because what they set up is that there's going to be some sort of commando insertion and it's chakotay and tuvok and some security people they land they're 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 running their op and it looks like Tuvok gets captured by one of the aliens and it's brought back into headquarters. And that's when you find out that whatever this, whoever this alien is that took Tuvok in is like in on, on the, the, the raid. And you suddenly get the, the most effective gunning down of an entire room of people since Tuvok turned his omnidirectional phaser on six seasons ago. And they just bam, 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 bam. Both of the, whoever this alien is and Tuvok like neck pinches one shoots two of them. Very like everyone's down. What kind of man could be such a ruthless gunslinger as to gun down an entire room zero no hesitation fucking... and perfect accuracy one might even say machine-like accuracy that's right pulls the thing off and it's the fucking doctor and i just about lost it i'm like oh peter's gonna love this this is everything he wanted right here i loved it that murderous fucking rogue ai hologram just gunning everyone down Love it. They they bring him in the most dangerous, heinous things that someone under the Hippocratic Oath should never go anywhere near, and he never disappoints. He really... I mean, you haven't seen a room full of motherfuckers get cleared out of that since Lon Suter. Alright? Um, speaking of the Doctor, because I'm not willing to let the Joe Carey thing go just yet. Um, he He gets shot. He transports up. And then the doctor's like, he's dead. And I'm like, I know that post post death revival techniques. I I know that fucking uh, is is not on cooldown. Bring Joe back. This is well within, if not standard Federation necromancy, then the fucking nanoprobes bring him back with. He he doesn't have any reagents. He he didn't buy any reagents at the at the uh, 
at the town before they went to the instance. Whatever. They got nanoprobes on tap. They could have brought him back with a crisis of faith. They did Joe dirty. They did. Right. Yeah. There's a the the straining of credulity in those moments was our our complaint. Like because this is what happens is that if you if you create plots where your characters fix death, then the ultimate dramatic tension of someone dies is no longer available to you. And so it doesn't make sense that Joe Carey's just dead. You've been shown to be able to fix this. You brought Neelix back a week after he died with the help of seven of nine, who is in sick bay where the Federation hologram who knows necromancy is Joe Carey was killed mid transport to sick bay. It's like optimal conditions. So exactly what you said, you've crossed these lines, which are fine and dandy plot points in that self-contained episode, but it's not a self-contained episode that that is part of the tapestry of Voyager now. And it makes that silly. Um, but the other end is silly. Yeah. The EMH just fucking gunning everybody down in that room. Straight gangster Mac completely unexpected. And I was right in the middle of like chuckling and writing shitting things in my notebooks about how Tuvok had gotten got yet again. And uh, this was just warlord all over again with Tuvok's poor black ops security uh, exploits blowing into his face. You know, they're they're noping out of the situation. But Tom, before he leaves, kind of has a moment with the mom who he helped deliver the baby for and revived using his med kit from like a little piece of blue jelly to a much more much more ambulatory little puppet what did you think of that scene of this the stillborth the baby i mean i've seen children that small like that certainly was a high buy-in for me i mean i think this is a classic example of something that probably has more purchase with a parent i am not one so i'm like I'm cool. I thought it made a lot of sense of like, I got the connection they were going for narratively. You know, Tom's fatherhood is pending. He's going through some maturity as a consequence of that. Like I'm there. I got it. But I think that it goes next level for someone like you naturally. Like you've been in that situation. So yeah. Like, okay. There's take, there's stakes here. The emotions more real because you've felt it. And it's a legitimate connection now. And the progression of, I don't want to say Stockholm syndrome, but like the, the bridging and, and compassion they build for each other uh, was very earned in, in this episode. This wasn't, you know, a ramrod. Okay. Now these guys are friends inexplicably and, and we get, you know, huge leaps of faith on both ends. Like this, this was a good um, progression. Uh, but they go, all right, the baby, we've resuscitated it. This is your first child that's actually stuck. It's got a shot. It is not going to survive. It still needs more help. Show me, uh, you know, good faith. Let us take the baby with us back to Voyager. We're going to get fixed up and, and I'll make sure it comes back to you. And she says, yes, take it. I really thought that moment was really well done. There is a, it's not a lot like said, it's a lot of Tom gets on his knee. He makes the appeal. She is buying into him. Like they've built their relationship a little bit. 
scene after scene up to this point and she hands him over like a little hesitant no this is right you know like it's just right it's just right like they it you have it, it could go either way right like they could go too much with it a little too too much emotion not enough they just dialed it in perfect the connections there He's already on his way to becoming yeah. a father. This is within his wheelhouse. They didn't just fucking reach into the ether and say, today, Tom cares about the uh, underwater mining operations and 20,000 leagues on the sea. And tomorrow, Tom cares about Fort Knox or Mars operation or fucking Ford F-150s or bubble gum and falling in love with the shuttlecraft. So... Uh, well, since we're already at an hour and 15 minutes, we'll we'll we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, the scientists they saved at the beginning of the episode, they've de-pussified him and treated his radiation issues. And Seven of Nine made the connection with him of like, you have to be the one that leads the people. You're a scientist. You know, yeah, you're not a survivalist the same way this guy's in charge now, but your people are going to need something else after we fix this. And they send him down there after they've scienced a way to fix the problem, which involves basically using photon torpedoes to create this effect that will will disperse the radiation in the atmosphere. This requires uh, a lot of cajoling, because once the away team is back, Janeway is like, all right, pull up anchor, fix the kids, send it back and we're out of here. And it's like Neelix and Paris, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> We have really we, we got a lot of work we need to do here. And this is again, this is my big accusation of like Janeway's crazy slash borderline evil for all the times that she has turned the other cheek. Like it doesn't take a lot of cajoling to get her to finally realize it. But like this conversation never should have had to happen. Oh, they send them down. The leader is still not having any part of negotiating with these folks even though like he's lost all of his leverage, right? Like he has no hostages anymore. And they send the baby who's been cured and the dude has been cured. And they're basically saying, all you got to do is sit back and watch. Voyager's going to roll through. They're going to do the thing. They're going to fix the problem. They're going to beam down a bunch of medical supplies that I can use to cure everybody. And then we can rebuild, right? Like it's not like they have any critical thing they have to do. They have to basically not shoot nuclear missiles <laughs> at Voyager. Like just don't shoot. The Just nukes at do us. not judgment day the people trying to help us, please. But of course, the tension on the ground is that he wants to judgment day them, and the the final confrontation is actually the mob pulling the gun on the leader to say, "I will do anything to save the life of my child, and if that means acing you right now, I you will ugly do motherfucker, it. you will get it." You will get the business and this has now become a jailbreak episode and we need to get out of this fucking shithole and you are in the way um, for as obtuse and uh, just stupid as Janeway is earlier in the episode while Voyager is in the atmosphere zooping around, putting itself at great danger. The, the shields get knocked down to 18% by whatever this catalytic conversion they're doing to the atmosphere is um again much like the mass effect thing where like you know they're 
shutting down the air tower that's pumping genophage out um they lock onto her with the nukes and everybody's like listen we need to get out of here and janeway's like no hold the course like that's that's the starfleet captain i needed the entire time was like i don't care what these guys do we're fixing this problem no matter what the cost to us is um that's the critical miss there but yeah uh uh, uh radiation mom's like knock it off i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking kill you if you don't and the guy goes okay i guess i'm gonna knock it off <laughs> like, uh, all right you do have a gun yeah. <laughs> i am i am weak to gun Every, <laughs> like, everybody's like hey raise your hand if you're not tired of this guy's bullshit and everybody's hand stays down he's like oh uh scientist guy are you the leader now and he's like yeah seven said i'm the leader now so i guess i am here's the other part of the problem for the episode for me is much like our own podcast where we do so much stuff at the front and then completely rush the ending. That's exactly what Voyager Mm -hmm. does. This might as well have been a fucking Captain Planet episode where a magic genie shoots out of the ground and turns into a tornado and whooshes all the poison out. And there it goes like, the order of events of we are going to fix this entire fucking planet like that. And there's going to be a military coup and democracy is going to replace uh, the, the fucking, the cute radiation girl's going to come down and say the sun is shining and everyone's going to come out and see it. It's such a, (laughs) Oh yeah. We're getting to wrap it up. The biggest crime of this episode is, again, I go back to workforce, which, again, that workforce connection to go back to that planet and give them fucking radiation sick. Fucking I think that's brilliant. That's that is is. a brilliant solution. Yeah, fucking dope. If they Mm -hmm. had pulled that out, I would have fucking taken everything about continuity I ever said about Voyager and shoved it up my fucking ass. Okay, Um, but that would have been a lot to shove up your ass like. Have you listened to our show? Well, I mean, it, that's hours of content. I'm assuming I would be able to use some Vaseline or something. I mean, it's certainly not dry. I just, I'm <laughs> just saying you have to work that in slow. Okay. Well, oh, and speaking of rushed <laughs> and oh, things, so anyway, things that are coming out of the asshole, they also rush a conclusion to Joe Carey's story arc. Oh, oh, hold on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they do. So this, this stupid, so dumb. They don't know what to do, right? Like, they killed Joe Carey. Fucking murked him. But they gotta feel like they got something to do with him at the end, right? It's like, ah, oh, alas, Joe Carey, our our dear friend, he is dead. They don't know what to do, so what they do is they go get a, a Star Trek Voyager Christmas ornament, put that bitch in a bottle, put it on a desk in a random quarter set, and they decide to talk about how Joe Carey was building a ship in the bottle of Voyager. And the problem is, the prop looks like the stupid cheap Christmas ornament that it actually is. That they just, like, took apart a little bit. It does not look like a ship in the bottle. It doesn't look intricate. It doesn't look like something you've put together piece by piece. It looks like a, a crappy Christmas ornament in a bottle. It's more of a eulogy than even Lon Suter realistically got. I don't have any problems with the way they close that out. Uh, I would have liked there to be some sort of closure. Like, you know, it sucks. He didn't even get a chance to talk to his kids. What are we going to tell his family? It really sucks that uh, 
your dad paid the price for some bullshit Earth did back in 2067. Like, wow, what a shitty lottery to win. Uh, but it's it's some sort of closure. I, my other uh, another big complaint I have about this uh, is, again, going back to workforce. You, you took a fucking two part episode for bullshit workforce. The, the love interest that never went anywhere. And then another episode that could have been one. Like, I think the stakes are high enough here that this would have been an appropriate two part episode to really. Uh, do everything the justice I think it could have deserved, including having that large ensemble cast that you mentioned earlier. Um, a nice game of Russian roulette of who's going to fucking buy the farm there. Maybe even kill off multiple of them and really vilify this guy and really give Janeway a reason to have like an axe to grind and be so willing to just fly away from this massive debacle that uh, Earth caused over here. But uh, overall, I loved it. This this was a very Star Trek episode. The stakes were huge. They were appropriate. I loved them. Janeway acts a little goofy, but it was a standout episode for Tom, certainly. Um, that phaser fight was the best since the Oregon Trail. What, what, what was that? It doesn't matter what it was. It was the fucking the best phaser fight we've seen um, until this one. You know, Harry Kim gets his head slammed in a door. What's not to love? <laughs> it's, truly, it has it all. I largely agree with you. Phaser fight. And it was the Oregon Trail that had the multi-directional phaser along with like probably this kinetic fight scene. Ever show ever, yeah. Until uh, Picard, yeah. Until the first episode of Picard with Kung, Kung Fu Android. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I do like the episode as well, but such a dumb, ham-handed nonsense with Joe Carey does drag it down a little bit. Like you just know he's gonna die so bad. And I, they could have done so much by being more subtle with what they were attempting to do, probably by having more than one recurring character involved. I will say, had they put Samantha Wildman in this, she's been in the pressure cooker before with whatever that terrible episode where flocks and flatter child's tale. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if they would have had her in there, you would not have thought she was going to die and then gunning her down would have really come out of left field and been uh, way less telegraphing than, than what happens to old Joe here. But uh, um, this is, this is a very strong one for me and I, I loved it. And it's a great connection to the alpha quadrant. Uh, Neat to see Starfleet handing out uh, directives that actually turned into like some pretty, and it's also cool too for, us to see an episode where Voyager is interacting with a dilemma that they are tied to, but for a change, not directly responsible for. Right. And that's a lot of next gen stuff was Picard having to deal with a difficult situation. Um, He didn't create it, but he doesn't have any option. He has to be the one to resolve it. And a lot of the stuff that Janeway has encountered has been shit. They've directly fucked up and she has direct culpability in. What are we watching next week, sir? From here, we're going into. Where did I think? Uh, season seven, episode 22, Natural Law. We have seven of nine. 
She is in a very fake looking forest. Seven and Chakotay stumble upon a race of primitive humanoids isolated from technological progress by an energy barrier. This is definitely the last of the most, like, Trek episodes, I guess would be the way I would call it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Beecher Please, A Hateful Voyage to the Delta Quadrant. We'll see you next week. 